Greetings and welcome to another fear-filled episode of everyone's favourite Batman the Animated Series. I am the Knight. I'm Steve J. Ray and with me, as always, is my partner in crime, the other half of the dyslexic, dynamic, dysfunctional duo, Adam Ray. How are you? Doing very well. Um, confused about the dyslexic, but then again, there's a lot of confusion abound in this episode. I can't even spell dyslexic. That's the point. I think they, <laughs> they genuinely made it a complicated word to help people learn to read and have their comprehension, which is funny because here in the UK, the foundation for studying that is in Reading. That's incredible. Um, I love writing, but I never learned to read. Anyway, I digress. Here we are, talking Batman, and it was a fun episode. I'm using fun in the the strange way because it was very different because this harkens back more to the pulp era and uh, the noir detective stories of old where the, the hero's telling the story from his own perspective. This is the episode Dreams in Darkness. Written by Judith and Garfield Reeves Stevens, first time we've seen them so far, and um, I want to see more. And directed beautifully by the wonderful Dick Sebast. What do you think of this one? It definitely harkens back to a much older form of storytelling. It's a very sort of noir pulp. That whole sort of trope of seeing the hero in a dire strait, and then the majority of the story is them explaining how they got there and then how they overcome. It's a very classic way of telling a story. It even goes back to. Shakespeare, where he opens the play by saying, Romeo and Juliet will die, but this is the story of how they die. Um, yeah. Personally, I like it when stories can follow that sort of linear thing, but this is one of the few times when it didn't really annoy me because the extent of how we know Batman and how we know his situations, to see him in Arkham in the straitjacket rambling about things we don't know about is terrifying. So this is one of the times where the villain of the piece has been able to crawl his way through the screen and has affected us, the viewer, which is why I think this episode is so unique. Yeah, absolutely. And and the the visual ties to it, the way Dick Sebast has made Batman's hallucinations terrifying to him and therefore all the more terrifying to us is brilliantly handled. And like you say, to open an episode, I mean, even the title card is there, Batman in Darkness, with just the silhouette of the light, moonlight coming through the window behind him. From that image onwards, you can almost expect to receive a a noir, almost horror-style tale. And we can get that sort of apprehension in the viewer pretty much straight away. We just don't know where Batman is. We can presume he's in Arkham. I think we could see that he was in some sort of a straitjacket. So we would know that he's somewhere in peril, somewhere he's not usually meant to be struggling. So we have to start to feel from him before we've even seen any of the events. So it's a very strong showing which is something we can really really get to and which is why I think this episode is so unique and effective but I think it's pulled off well because of the quality of the villain and the plan that Scarecrow is able to put into motion it was done for plot reasons so that Batman was not in the way so that he can create mass fear and mass hysteria but we can almost ignore the high stakes scope of the plan of it because we see a much more personal insular Batman focusing on himself, which is what we usually get from these Scarecrow stories. Absolutely, it, it, they're more, a lot more claustrophobic. They're a lot more, and that's very apt for, because it, it's it's a very common fear. But they said something that's very common in um, TV and uh, well, actually, in almost every form of fiction is you coming in in the middle of the story and then the recap. And like you, I only like it when it's done well, and very frequently it's just done to fill time. Especially with TV, it's done to fill the 40 minutes or the hour of the storytelling they need. Here, though, 
I feel it's to drag the audience in and scare you from the start and what lifts it and separates it is Batman's narration is yeah. the way he says this is where I am how did I get here and him telling the story and again some beautiful nuanced voice acting from, from Kevin Conroy where you just hear him Throughout the episode, you don't see him at all. What did you think of that? It was very well handled, and it certainly puts it back to the old timey detective stories that you'd get in the twenties or thirties showreel and the original detective comics back when it started in the great thirties as well. Um, we see things from his own unique perspective, and we sort of hear and feel the bedraggled and like pillar supposed pushed down and luck nature of what he's been through so far in the story. So we really start to feel for him, and we wonder just how he got himself into this mess and how he can possibly get himself out of it. It's good when we see that a hero can get tested and Batman gets tested better than most other heroes in DC. Yeah. So we go through that struggle with him, which is another way that this is just so much more personal despite the grand and apocalyptic stakes of Scarecrow's plan. Yeah. I love the... the thank you for bringing up that he is the most... Um, tested hero in comics because that again is is something that's very very Batman in most of his stories I mean hearkening back I mean it's been done before it's probably been done since the 30s since the 40s but the first time we ever saw Batman broken down to almost doubting himself and being world weary was with the cult by Jim Starlin and Bernie Wrightson, but then it's become a regular thing that Nightfall did it, Batman Rest in Peace, to a certain extent, uh, Cataclysm, Contagion, Legacy, No Man's Land, where his whole city was brought down and he had to bring it up. It's one of those things that dwell on his humanity and highlight his humanity, and that's part of the reason why we're drawn in with him. When we see him in a straitjacket, which we know he can get out of, if he's operating at full capacity. Yeah. The fact that he hasn't got out of that straitjacket, and we see afterwards when he does get out of it, he's even got his sense of it on, we know this is a Batman who isn't operating at full efficiency. And that, to me, just elevates the stakes. So I know that Batman can get out of the straitjacket with his eyes shut. Why hasn't he? And that's... It's even more telling that he has to use a fire axe as just a bit of help for it, because mm. he doesn't even have the full um, wherewithal to be able to lift up and then get the straps that go along the back over, because I think that's how you get out of a straitjacket on your own without having to dislocate your shoulder. Yeah, I think that's the other way. Uh, uh, the, the most common way, which I've learned from comics, dear listeners, believe it or not, yeah. is whenever you're getting tied up, to make yourself as tense and as outwards as possible. So that way, when you relax, yes. the, the ropes or whatever you're tying in get loose, and then you can just slide out of. But the fact that he was so both mentally and physically repressed by the Scarecrow's gas, which was slowly attacking his nervous system, was just brilliantly handled. And again, we all know it's that often mentioned thing that Batman with prep time is unbeatable, but you can still surprise him. And that, again, isn't a weakness to me. It makes him that much more engaging and and fun to read or watch. Because he's not got grand cosmic or spiritual or supernatural powers, he does have to rely on the extensive training and his endless wits to be able to get yes, out of any situation exactly. he's in. So when you see the entire episode, he's under this enormous psychological handicap. He's The fact that we're still able to see him work through it, because a plan like this, without the negative, negative mental effects, it would have been fairly simple. He would have been yeah. able to walk through, infiltrate Arkham, sabotage the machine. The goons would have been nothing, because they were scared of him, even though he was in that state. Mm-hmm. 
So the extent of him being tested and brought down a peg just shows that he's still able to go past and work past it and achieve what he needs to because he has to. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and people say to me often, oh, Steve, you're such a huge Batman fan. How can you say that Batman can be defeated? He can't. I said, well, I don't agree with that. Any hero that can't be defeated is boring. I don't want to read about an infallible hero who can't be brought down. I want to read about a hero who gets brought down and then gets back up again. And to me, Batman, as I said, when he's ready for you and he will prepare 20 ways out of any situation... Yes, he will win, but what makes him engaging, what makes him fascinating is that at the end of the day, take away his gadgets and his training, he's still just a normal human being. And we see that brilliantly here. I mean, one of the best imagery sets in this episode is when he's fully under the effects, he's fully hallucinating. And again, that other little slight hint into his origins, the way Hmm. they tell the story of, of, of his parents and that scene to you in this episode with the earth shaking and the gun raising out the ground what, what, what do you make of that? All of the hallucinations were particularly powerful because yeah. the strength of the gas it was very grand very psychedelic almost like the fact that the whole world sort of warped and twisted around him it reminded me a lot personally when I can see the the people who made the Arkham games, the yes. Rock City, took a lot of inspiration for this because those hallucinations were huge and grand and terrifying. But this particular one, the them walking off into the distance and that become this becoming this monolithic barrel of yeah. Joe Schill's gun, it was a huge psychological block on Batman that is still something that weighs on him so heavily, and he still sees this as this great figure of fear that chases him through his life. It's a powerful thing to see, and it's one you should rightly be scared of. Absolutely. I mean, so beautifully directed. The way... It's funny to me, because in a way I see that it's also a a look back and a nostalgic wink at the classic late 50s, early 60s Batman stories where he'd be fighting villains in uh, scenarios where there's these giant props and giant typewriters and giant record players and stuff that he basically would use to swing off and jump off which are completely unrealistic but were there just to make things more surreal and jump out at you but in this instance they use it just to literally terrify both Batman and the viewer so it's harkening back at a silly era of Batman and making it more sinister um, which later comics writers did when they tried to integrate those unbelievable stories and make them part of modern continuity so it's just lovely to see again the creators looking back at every era of Batman it's a way that they can make something that garish and that hard to otherwise justify very real and very Mm -hmm. relevant in the story that they're trying to tell which is a very nice thing to see that they handled yeah and I do love the use again Dick Sebastian is one of these directors in every episode he's handled so far that loves using shadows and movements and light. Um, And and this episode is no exception. From the moment we first see Batman approaching Arkham with just a shadow of the bat on the side of the building, and then so many bats flitting around in this episode, right to that beautiful end scene where Bruce is finally at home, Alfred's bringing him his peanut butter and jelly sandwiches or whatever he's made tonight, and a bat flitters over the light and its silhouette, 
He's watching over Embraces him almost maternally. Yeah. Beautiful. The spirit of the bat was sort of looking over him during this vulnerable state. And another great shadowed moment that was just like very close to the beginning was when he was fighting that first goon right before he gets yes. hit with a gas. And we just see it from so far away. Yeah. We get all of the detail because the shadows are sort of fighting around each other. Yeah. Beautiful to look at. Wonderful, wonderful visual storytelling. Yeah. Because this, honestly, in terms of... Uh, plot and stories one of the simplest tales we've seen to date but in terms of character and in terms of direction it's actually for me it's one of the best it's really because um you'll verify we've spoken about this before that i like talking through stuff i barely said a word over this which was uh unexpected surprise yeah yeah um because i was drawn in yeah it's one of the ones that really sort of pulled you in because from the offset we weren't sure what the details were, mm. what was going on, which way was up. As we started to learn through, it was almost completely obvious that it was the scarecrow pulling these strings, but the way that they sort of paced yeah. it around the doctor putting back down in our minds was, no, 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 he was downstairs, I saw him this morning. And us trying to wonder, is Batman going crazy? Is there something else to fear? Is there something we should be really worrying about? We're trying to figure our way out of this mind cage that Batman seems to be in at the same time yeah and also the little red herrings like when he's in the Backhaven the, the first effects of the gas uh, come into play where he's sitting at his desk at the back computer and sees a reflection in the monitor and it's the Joker sneaking up behind him so you think hang on is this the Joker but then he turns around and it's just poor Alfred bringing him something to eat and that's why because I have seen this one and I know I've seen this one but I'd forgotten what had happened in it and it's because this whole thing of Batman locked in Arkham, again, it's something that recurs. And tell me if you agree that it's a common thing where much of the fandom think that, not in a psychotic way, but in some ways Batman's almost as crazy as the people he fights. And yeah. is that something that, that played on your mind watching this episode? Possibly. I feel like this reminds me of one of the fan theories that I read somewhere online and I like the idea of Batman being crazy and being part of uh, the rounds of Vulcan but I remember one fan theory that said that Batman was uh, Bruce Wayne was deranged and patient in Arkham. All of the villains and recurring characters he sees are other figures that are there just in the hospital. Very Wizard of Oz-like. Very Wizard of Oz-like and um, the Joker and Harley Quinn were just like the warden of the asylum and his assistant and they would torment him the most and he remembers Bane being an order that was particularly violent and he remembers Riddler as being this psychiatrist who asks far too many questions I like that uh, there's more to it I'll find it another time we can probably have a talk about it but the idea that Batman is still just a little bit unstable and there's no reason other than good timing and him being conveniently able to bring the actual dangerous criminals that are endangering life to Arkham there's very little that could keep him from actually entering Arkham which is another thing that the subconsciously we think about as this episode goes mm. on which is another thing to sort of get particularly scared of which is why another little layer that makes this episode so effective absolutely and, and obviously being a comics fan and having read Batman's Adventures for most of my life um, it's one of those things where so many writers and artists in the past have gone to that story where um, well, one in particular, Masks, which was by a British writer, nice Brian Talbot, has Bruce in an asylum, and literally his entire career as Batman has been a delusion. Uh, he went nuts in the alley when his parents were killed, and he was locked up almost from childhood 
in increasing states of psychosis, but then that CERN turns its head and he escapes out. All the way up to the recent and brilliant Last Night on Earth by Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo, where we wake up and see Bruce in the alley and uh, he gets shown his costume and it's part of a straitjacket and a mask um, to hide that. But again, he breaks out and he realises he's in a far-flung future and he's a clone of his original self and Batman's going to fight crime forever. And it's just something that keeps being brought up. And Batman, obviously, I would say he's not completely sane, but he is completely rational. And that's what the difference is. He does things which normal people, even with his wealth, his knowledge of technology, wouldn't do because he feels he has to but he never steps over that line into psychosis which is why having his rationality is the perfect opposite of having joker's irrationality and insanity as his main foil and people like scarecrow who again is another almost mirror image of batman where he uses fear to strike criminal heart into fear into the hearts of the guilty and the criminals Scarecrow just wants to scare the living Jesus out of everyone and everything. Another little counterpoint that makes Batman and Scarecrow the opposites of each other is that um, they both have deeply resourceful individuals. Yes. Bruce Wayne has the wealth and the connections of Wayne Enterprises, whereas Scarecrow has his degree and is master of biochemistry. So they both use their own backgrounds and their own levels of expertise to be able to forward their masked crusades, one for good and one for ill. That's another thing, which is why I think it's so relevant that Scarecrow is the one that's recurred the most mm. of the supervillains, other than the Joker, obviously. This yeah. is the third outing of his, and we've had... One recently, one like yeah, three or four episodes back, yeah. Yeah, where he actually made an escape. He's one of the... I feel like that's because he's one of the more intelligent ones. Yes, absolutely. Arguably, arguably compared to, like... And they're all quite intelligent yeah. people. That's just why there's... That's why so I love his rogues gallery so much as well. Yeah, they're all very educated, learned... Doctors like, but the resources that he was able to escape was a particular thing that's made him so successfully recurring. Uh, I'm a personal favourite villain of mine. Yeah, I know you love Scarecrow, but again, it leads me back to when we were talking in Fear of Victory, where Joker knew he'd escaped. I actually honestly think that Joker and Scarecrow might even run this version of the asylum mm. and know about every secret passageway and every way in and out because it is an old converted um, asylum from the earliest history of America and that's been told so many times throughout the comics. But I also think, and this is my own little headcan, obviously Crane's a psychiatrist, he's a psychologist, mm. that's his training, that's his nature. Maybe he even, before he took the psychotic break and went full on as Scarecrow may even have worked at the asylum and, and made some of those escape tunnels himself so he could torture his victims and make his way out before the other doctors realised what he'd been doing but I don't know but his that place has got a revolving door we know it because his villains are always escaping but to me that just makes his escapes a little bit more feasible I like that idea I quite like that idea but that also makes me think of the connection between Joker and Scarecrow goes back a little further because I like the idea that they were able to put together in Gotham where they were able able to engineer the laughing gas mm, out yes. of Scarecrow's fear gas. Yes. It must be some similar sort of uh, hallucinogenic or delirium sort of chemical stuff that I would expect Scarecrow to know how to make with his medical degree and his chemistry degree. But 
the Joker, and he was able to do that out of simple cleaning products uh, for some of his escapes. There may have been some sort of respect or rapport there between the two characters. And also, again, thinking back, remember all the multitudes of origins the Joker's had? All of them has had the Ace Chemicals connection. Hmm. And in the most famous origin, the one from The Killing Joke, he worked there for a time, but it hmm. didn't say what he did. That. Who's to say he's not a chemist? Who's to say he's not completely trained in biochemistry? That, again, would explain his knowledge of, in the Batman movie, Batman 89 movie by Tim Burton, where he creates Smilex gas, and he's intelligent enough to break it out into several compounds that kills his victims when they mix deodorant, shampoo, hairspray, but not when you have just one by itself. So it's one of those things where, yes, they might totally be in cahoots, or they're just both that brilliant. And that's what, again, I love about this episode, because Scarecrow's out there. Even the doctors think he's locked in his cell, and then when you see that silhouette and hear that voice, you think, "Yeah, there doctors is. don't know nothing." There, there it is. Um, it's good to see that there's so much you can interpret with characters this old. Yeah. There's nothing ground in. You can have as many readings as over the seventy, eighty years of these characters have all been in existence. But I'm glad you brought up the '89 movie. They name-dropped Jack Napier as the Joker in this episode, which is something I made a very strong note about. I, I know that they were sort of tied in, which is why Catwoman's blonde when we get around yeah, to and Penguin looks like that. And Penguin looks like such. But the whole mystique of the Joker, for me at least, is that he was never really meant to be named or meant to be given a clear identity. So the fact that they're calling back to Jack Nicholson's Joker... It's a very interesting touch that ties a lot of different pieces of media together, but I don't know if you put, picked up on that. I did pick up on that. But again, my head canon is the multitudes of parallel worlds and parallel dimensions. I mean, let's remember in the Batman 89 movie, please correct me if you think I'm wrong, but there's no way Joker survived that fall. Not possible. For so this is a Joker who again is called Jack Napier but we know for a fact this isn't the Joker that killed Bruce's parents in this series no. and we also know for a fact that um, yeah like I said the Jack Napier from the movies didn't survive no. so this is a character again naming him I'm not too bothered by it's giving him that full-fledged origin like they did in Batman 89 of making him a gangster and everything else that I didn't like that much but I love the portrayal I love the way Nicholson played him here yeah he's called Jack Napier who is Jack Napier? Mm. What did Jack Napier do before he was the Joker? We still don't know that, and we still never know that. So, mm, I like it because it makes viewers think, oh yeah, Jack Napier, that's what he was called in the movie. And it can probably engage viewers in a way... Yeah, it's another way to engage name, yeah. It's another way to engage viewers. Thank you for defending it. It did bother me just a little, just a little bit, but I'm, like, yeah. it's, it's saved it. Yeah. You've saved it. That's good. Because that's the only way I can make any sense, because otherwise, yes, it would bug the crap out of me like it does. <laughs> we are of similar minds when it comes to that thing. Now, where I was confused as well is it's a well-known fact that Joker's first foray into crime in Gotham City when Gordon had that card and where uh, Batman first uh, tackled him as the Joker was when he was trying to poison the Gotham Reservoir. So that's why all the little red herrings at the beginning of the episode with the poisoning of the water thought, is this a Joker story or not? And um, the fact he's so prominent, again, he appears in another hallucination over the course of the episode, the thinking that the, the, the writing, the direction was brilliantly throwing all of us off 
us off balance the same way that the sphere gas was throwing Batman off balance. I thought that was really brilliantly, brilliantly done. I think the focus going towards the Joker is the natural thing because yeah. there's something primal about the Joker that just vexes something in Batman's soul mm. that he will always see him as that point of fear. We never saw how Batman and the Joker met in this season, in this series. Huh? At any point going forward, unless I'm wrong, because I, I don't, I don't think we do. Which I think is part of the point. I think they are just so beautifully antagonistic yes. towards each other that they don't need an end as much as they don't need a beginning. Yeah. It's good to see a beginning, like with the calling card and Gordon up on the rooftop or Gary Oldman's perfect moustache, yeah. but they are meant to be just at odds for all time. I think you and I are destined to do this forever. Yeah. So I like that the th- the looming threat of the Joker will always be on Batman's mind because there is a part of the Joker, the sheer chaos and the violence of it that does scare Batman. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's one thing that does scare Batman. And the only thing I think scares Batman more, and we, again, we see that come to fruition in modern comics with the dark universe and the Batman who laughs the only thing that scares Batman more than Joker is becoming Joker or mm. becoming something like that living long enough for the hero to see himself become the villain that's a thing that, that Christopher Nolan did brilliantly in his films and if you're wondering about the focus of the media then it's really nice to see that even then Christopher Nolan was somewhat inspired by this the fear toxin going through the going through the water to yeah. affect everyone just in yeah. a similar sort of means that was tried to be used in and of Batman Begins so mm. there's plenty of respect for all levels of Batman media going across the extensive body of writing that he has so it's really nice to see that there's still some connections there that's why the best the most successful Batman films cartoons and TV shows are the ones that pick bits and pieces out of his whole 80 year history in the comics which is why uh, Batman 89 and Batman Returns and to an extent Batman Forever work Batman and Robin doesn't that's why Batman Begins works and Dark Knight works and uh, Dark Knight Rises work and I'm very very much looking forward to the long Halloween take and the broken gun as the bat symbol Matt Reeves um, Robert Pattinson take on Batman I, I cannot wait to see this film and every little bit that I see for it makes me more excited because again it's creators who are clearly drawing on the whole rich tapestry that Batman's career has been there's so much in that rich tapestry that uh, a respectful writer can do a great deal with but still be true to the roots Mm -hmm. as long as they don't go wild with some speculative fan fiction sort of stories So as long as they are true fans and as long as they know everything that came before and are able to present something that we know but it's still something new, it's something we can always be excited for. Yeah, and that's why you know me. I love the writers that um, pick and choose from the history and manage to make it fit in modern dark continuity rather than the writers who come in wipe decades of history just to put their stamp on the series. And Batman's been luckier than most because most of his writers have tried to tie everything together rather than rub it out and, and do it their own way which is a beautiful thing to see yeah that's something that sort of disappointed Superman in some of his yes. some of the reboots which has been a little bit disheartening but still there's so much ground into the mythos of the character that as few just ripped everything up 
it would cease to be the same character, mm-hmm. almost. The whole look of the dingy, crime-ridden, earthy, broken Gotham, that really can't be changed. The scene down the alleyway, that can't be changed. Yeah. The dark, dark magic and mysticism of yeah. what Batman does, this, that really can't be changed. So when you get those essences down, you can scale up the darkness mm-hmm. so you can get some real edgy yeah. content of just wearing the gun that killed mm-hmm. your parents yeah. there. Or you can scale it down and just add to the adventure side, which you can still get in Tim Burton and Batman Forever. Which is yeah. just... There's no... They're all respectful stories and they're all still true stories, which is why they still work and come off well. Yes. Absolutely. Well said. So, looking at Dreams in Darkness as a whole then, as we've talked about it now, Batman Scarecrow being locked in Arkham Asylum... What were your main takeaways, good or bad? What's the things that stood out for you from this episode? I just particularly loved how claustrophobic and personal the episode was. And I loved that it was so intently focused on Batman managing his fears, so much so that we worried with him. I think the only other time I've seen this in a great piece of Batman media was, again, the first Arkham games, because we tussled with the Scarecrow in that game as as well Mm -hmm. as long. And the people that made this were very heavily inspired by this episode by the grand and twisting and terrifying fear visions. But I have never been more scared as a gamer for the third time we run into the Scarecrow in the Arkham games. I don't think you were there when I was playing through this because you watched me play that a lot because Mm -hmm. it's a Batman game. The best. But there was a moment where towards the end of the game, the third time you run into the Scarecrow, you're walking and then everything goes pixelated and then the game cuts out so uh-huh. us as a gamer freaks out. Oh sh! It, <laughs> <laughs> but and then it cuts, gets to the cutscene of the beginning of the game, and you're not controlling Batman; you're controlling the Joker, and Batman's on a gurney, and the Joker starts shooting at Batman, and it says, "Use the middle stick to dodge the gunfire," but there is no middle stick on this controller. And then it cuts back to Batman climbing out of a gravestone, and it's in one of the Scarecrow hallucinations. But there is a moment. Where the scarecrow's freak in the FL. where scarecrow's fear reaches from the console to grab a gamer, so that's that's awesome. That is why I love that character. It's been able to inspire fear across many different mediums for all sorts of viewers, between gamers tenish years ago to so people watching the show twenty five years ago. I think you should read King of Fear. Okay, dig that one out for you. Brilliant, wowzer. Nice, okay. Um, For me, there's a couple of things. Again, the direction. The way this story's paced and lit and shot is just stunning. But it's also the scenes with Alfred and that little sense of comfort, which I think is almost, again, like a rope that Bruce uses to pull himself out of the hole. But what I have to say is it's Bruce's control because... There's a few occasions in this episode where he literally could have completely lost control. The first one is when the gas first starts to take effect, like we mentioned, seeing Joker's reflection. Someone with lesser training, lesser skill than Bruce, would have turned around and knocked Alfred possibly to his death. Um, but the second he saw Alfred, that restraint and that love, that sense of family, stopped him. And, and Alfred's face, again... The way they can make these two-dimensional drawings act was brilliant. Particularly Batman, because in that heavy cowl, yeah, we don't see eyes. We, don't, yeah. we see mouth, we yeah. don't see eyes, we exactly. don't see eyebrows. So we see the whiteness go wide yeah. with shocks, which yeah. is just a great way to convey emotion. Brilliant. 
And again, in a scene where he's actually discovered what's wrong with him after he's had the blood test, the doctor at the place has said, listen, you've you got to have this, or literally within the space of 24 hours, you'll be done. Yeah. But he takes the medicine, and because he could take the medication, have a couple of days rest and recovered. But he knew Scarecrow was out there, he knew that people were going to get poisoned, and he put others' safety ahead of his, which again is... True Batman heroism. Vintage terrific Batman so yeah brilliant stuff that's my takeaways from this episode again a first sight a very simple simple episode and one that kept me engaged but it's when you peel back the layers of the onion lots of interesting psychology which you can expect from a villain former psychologist and Mm -hmm. psychological terror indeed two masters of fear at odds and that's what I love whenever Batman and uh, Jonathan Crane butt heads Lovely. So, that's our take on Dreams in Darkness, the 28th episode of Batman, the animated series. So, Adam, where can our listeners and readers of DC Comics News and Dark Knight News speak to you and ask you stuff and read your work? To read my work, you can find me on those two great websites, DC Comics News and Dark Knight News. I review many titles, some not as many as others because of the state of affairs, but I'm going to keep believing and keep reading until then. Yeah. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at IzzetsTinkerer, I-Z-Z-E-T Tinkerer, where I discuss the odd bits of tabletop and collectible card games. You can find me at our dear love fantasticuniverses.com talking about the similar sort of content and you can find me where dreams and fears run wild yes indeed where about you sir myself again if you want to chat about this episode of the show or any of the other things we've talked about over the course of I Am The Night just reach out to me on twitter at lstevo e-l underscore s-t-e-e-v-o and you can find my work simply by doing a google search for Steve J Ray and that'll give you links to my news reviews and interviews on DC Comics News and Dark Knight News or go to Fantastic Universes to read about all sorts of really cool fan stuff as for this show it's one of four shows yes four shows on the DC Comics News Dark Knight News podcast network of course you've got the original DC Comics News podcast which is all the news every week uh, based on DC's movies TV and streaming comics, games and everything else that's uh, involved the weekly uh, Spinner Act podcasts where we recommend the five top books from DC and yes indeed readers middle of May and June progressing comics are coming out again yippee so the Spinner Rack will resume with brand new titles not just retrospectives and the classics that you can reread and of course then there's this show I Am The Night and our fourth new show which is like this one except a lot louder and a lot more sweary the Mad Love Harley Quinn cast where we look at every week's episodes in order of the Harley Quinn animated series but all of those can be found on Spotify Stitcher Apple and Google Play Dark Knight News and DC Comics News can be found on Facebook Twitter Tumblr and YouTube but that's it for us for this week here's Adam Ray and here's the Knight together we are the Knight and this has been the I Am The Knight podcast um, what does everyone really need to do Adam? read more comics and watch more Batman. Thank you for listening. Bye now.